Well, good morning, church. It's so great to see you, guests. We're glad that you're here. You know, I was thinking about this this morning. What a, what a gift that we get to gather, right? Like, we're a community of faith, and some of you came skipping in here with, with just joy in your heart. Things are going good. Some of you limped in here. It's been a rough one, right? But, man, God's given us each other as a community of faith, and we get to meet, and we get to worship God, and we get to connect with one another. What a gift that we have. So I just thought about that and just say, let's just, let's just gather and, and worship our Lord, encourage one another today. It's just, it's just a great opportunity to do that. Um, it is December 1st. Happy December to you. Uh, hard to believe that. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And now we are looking toward Christmas, right? And so if you were here over the last few weeks, we, we wrapped up a teaching series last week on anxiety and the peace of God. And we were just so grateful for your courage and your engagement and your transparency through that season. And uh, on behalf of the elders and the pastors here, uh, we hope that that series has and will continue to help you as you fight your anxiety and fight your fears with the power that Christ has given you. And so uh, we hope that that's been a benefit to you and will continue to be so. And now we're kicking off a series revolving around Christmas, and ironically and sadly, Christmas is a time where a lot of people experience anxiety. So here we go again, right? It's like anxiety series take two, right? No, we're hoping not. But I just want to talk about that a little bit. You know, I asked on Facebook last week, what stirs up anxiety or sadness or frustration for you during the Christmas season? And really, all the answers were lumped into five different themes, and there's no surprises here. Uh, for those, some are missing family and friends who have recently passed away. Uh, that's very, you know, some of us are walking through grief right now. That makes uh, this time sad, or there's some anxiety there. Also, loneliness and distance from family and friends. Um, you know, all of our closest friends and our family are on the West Coast in California, so we, we miss them, and we understand that. And so sometimes loneliness or just being distant from family and friends can cause sadness or anxiety or frustration. Also, family conflict and hardships, you know, hard things that your families are going through or you're going through as an adult um, or as a young adult, those, those things can impact you during this time of year. Also, anxiety over financial and activity demands, just the, the, the cost, right, of Christmas and, and uh, the, the, all the activities that are, uh, revolve around Christmas. Also, a disconnect from the true meaning of Christmas, where we're, we're, we're put in this like, okay, do we worship the birth of Christ or are we really getting sucked into the consumerism and the commercialism of the dates? A few of the actual phrases that caught my attention in the social media feed, uh, some things people said. One person said, I have anxiety over being overextended. That's a good word. I'm like, ooh, overextended. That captures uh, a, a lot of us right there. Or one person said, I have anxiety over the price tag of Christmas. Right, and the, the, the pressure that they're feeling for what that's going to do to them financially. One person said, it's the over-the-top giving. Like, what if we gave half of what we spend to people in need? You know, and that's, that's their heart. Uh, one person said, not letting the commercial aspect interfere with the joy of what Christmas is really about. And I really like what this person said. I think they captured it well. He said, Christmas becomes more about buying stuff that we don't need and then becoming really stressed about preparation, so we go and buy more stuff that we don't need. I just want to hit the reset button and go back to the real meaning of Christmas, right? And so these are just a taste of some of the, the stresses and the anxieties and the frustrations we can feel if we're not careful during this season. Here's also some other staggering data that I think we need to digest. And I just got online, did some research, and some of this comes out of Gallup or National Retail Federation or the United Nations and other different websites. But it's estimated that this year, Americans are going to spend $1 trillion on Christmas, 
$1 trillion. Last year, we broke that uh, barrier for the first time as a nation, $1 trillion. So this year, they're anticipating we're going to spend over $1 trillion. Think about this. It's estimated that it's going to take about $30 billion to feed the world, which means the amount that Americans are going to spend in a one-month period can feed the world 30 times. Think about that, 30 times with what we're going to spend on Christmas. Also, the average American will spend about 1000 bucks on Christmas, as well as the average American is going to go into debt about 1000 bucks for Christmas, and then spend three to five months to try to dig out of the debt that they just spent. And it's like, is this really what we believe uh, honors Christ at Christmas? Is this what we really believe is, is, is honoring the one who was born? And so just some things to digest that and process that as we celebrate the birth of Christ. Now, speaking of birthdays, I don't know about you, but all of us typically have some sort of birthday traditions, right, in our, in our homes. And so one of our birthday traditions is the birthday girl, or birthday boy, or birthday man, or birthday woman um, get to pick the meal for their birthday. And so what home-cooked meal do you want? Like, well, you know, we're going to make the menu that you desire. Or what restaurant do you want to go out to? And so uh, last, last month was my daughter's 16th birthday. My oldest daughter turned 16, Isabel. And uh, hard to believe she turned 16. So this is a big deal. So I wanted to make a big deal about it. My wife wanted to make a big deal about it. So as part of her birthday celebration, I wanted to take her on a special daddy-daughter date. I'm talking like, let's get dressed up, suit, tie, uh, let's get her in a fancy dress, let's go downtown to a little bit of an upscale restaurant and just celebrate her turning 16. Maybe afterwards, if you know, we can squeak it out, maybe we'll go to Playhouse or something and watch something, you know, just, just really a, a special daddy-daughter date. So this was the game plan. This is what I've been talking about for weeks leading up to her birthday. And then a couple days before her birthday, about the daddy-daughter date, here's what my daughter says. She says, you know, dad, I really don't want to get dressed up. I want to be comfortable. And she goes, I really don't want to go out to a nice dinner. I, I just kind of want to go to maybe Red Lobster in Strongsville by the mall. And I'm like, well, there's nothing wrong with Red Lobster. That's good food. You know, it's not exactly what I had in mind, though. I wanted, like, really loud. I wanted to drive far. I wanted to spend a bunch. I wanted to just treat her well and pamper her and just have this special connect. But what she wanted was to be comfortable and to go to something that she just really enjoyed. So you know what we did? We dressed comfortably, and we went to Red Lobster, and we had an amazing daddy-daughter date. We had about an hour and a half of just hanging out and talking and visiting, and it was so cool, you know? But what if instead I just said, no, I'm going to celebrate your birthday the way I want to, so I would put the pressure on her and impose what I thought she needed for her birthday. What if I made us get dressed up really nice, and I, I made us go downtown, and I made us do all these things? In fact, what if she told me, Dad, all I want to do is get pajamas on and drive through the uh, McDonald's drive-thru and go back home? What if that's what she wanted? But I'm like, no, we're going to... I would have twisted the special event into something that's really about me and what I want rather than what connects with her heart. And I think that's exactly what we're probably doing at Christmas. For those of us who know Jesus and we read about our Savior in the Bible, we probably get the sense that if we really want to honor the birth of our Savior, it's probably going to be meaning that we're going to engage hurting people, lonely people, outcast people, people in poverty, people with need. But instead, we find ourselves spending ridiculous amounts of money, running around with ridiculous schedules, doing all these things that maybe Jesus is saying, look, all I really want to do is put on pajamas and go to the McDonald's drive-thru, but you want to go do something fancy. Maybe he just wants us to do something simple. 
And so we're going to embark on the next four weeks in a series called The Advent Conspiracy. Now, we did The Advent Conspiracies about a decade ago, uh, but they've refreshed it. And there's a bunch of people here that haven't done it. And I just felt like it's a good reminder for us. Let's go back and do it again. Well, what does the term Advent Conspiracy mean? Because it sounds like a little bit like, what's that about, right? Well, the word Advent means arrival. And so we know that we're in the Advent season now where we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus the Son of God, God incarnate, has come. He's arrived. And so uh, we, we celebrate the, the fact that Jesus has come. But also, after Jesus lived, died, and rose, and ascended to heaven, he says he's coming again. So we're also, just like the, the Old Testament saints, you know, looking forward to the birth of the Messiah, uh, here we are as New Testament saints, if you will, looking for the return of the Messiah. And so arri arrival, advent, that's what that means, the arrival of Christ. He came, he died, he rose, he's coming again. And then conspiracy to agree to act together for a common goal. And so if you really put those together, here's what the Advent Conspiracy is about. It's our purposeful effort to engage Christmas in a way that's meaningful and truly celebrates and demonstrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I just want to read that again. Uh, the Advent Conspiracy is our purposeful effort to engage Christmas in a way that's meaningful and truly celebrates and demonstrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so that's what that's about. And, and there's really four intentional expressions that the Advent Conspiracy uh, touches on. It's about uh, worshiping fully. It's about spending less, about giving more. Some of you are like, wait, that's a contradiction. We'll talk about that, all right? And loving all. So worshiping fully, spending less, giving more, loving all. That's what we're going to be looking at in the next four weeks. Today's focus is the worship fully, to worship fully. This is Christ's birth calling us to a deeper, fuller, more sacrificial worship. That's what we're going to look about today. So let's gather today in one of the passages. We're going to be talking about worship. So I want to take us into the, the traditional Christmas narrative. Open up your Bibles with me or fire up your Bible apps to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I want us to uh, look at a scene that if you're uh, a believer in Christ, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you've probably seen this many times. We're going to revisit this and really kick off our December looking at it. We're looking at Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 12, which is the account, the historical record of when wise men or the Magi visited Christ. And so Matthew chapter 2, starting with verse 1, here's what we see. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And have come to, what's the word? Worship, right? We've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and, what's the word? Worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had, they had seen when it had rose went before them and it came um, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is a beautiful scene of what we see here of worship. Now, I just want to do a quick little snapshot about the, the people we're talking about. These wise men are called Magi. Uh, they are believed to be Eastern astrologers. They probably came out of Persia or um, uh, Babylon, and, and they followed a star that God provided for them to come and see. Uh, we don't know how many there were. The Bible doesn't say. And uh, they weren't kings, but they would serve kings. And so the song, we three kings of Orient are, the we is right, the Orient, but the three and the kings, eh, not so much, sorry. All right. Um, nice song, but not actually accurate. Okay. So we, we, we know a little bit more about uh, these, but I, wanna foc- I don't want to focus on them, but they, they show up in Bethlehem. And I just want to remind you, Bethlehem's not an imaginary place. Bethlehem's real. It's about six miles southwest of Jerusalem. This is a real place. Some of us were just there about five weeks ago. We got to stand in the shepherd's fields, which was in visual range of where these angels appeared and announced to the shepherds. And in fact, since Christmas is a time of giving, I just want to go ahead and start uh, front row privileges. So um, Merry Christmas. This is a olive wood ornament for your tree from Bethlehem. So there you go. So uh, if you're jealous, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to create jealousy, but <laughs> the front row students need to get a little you know, love every now and then. So let's show up in Bethlehem. Right? And, and this, this place of Bethlehem where the birth of Christ takes place is so uh, significant to us as believers. And so we see the Magi arrive. Now, they, they arrived anywhere between uh, months or years later. We don't know when because it says here that they appeared to see the child in the house, not the baby in the manger. So they might not actually have come to Bethlehem. They might have shown up somewhere else. But the bottom line is um, they were there. This is a real moment. This is history. But what I want to focus on is the worship And I want to look at this text. I want to highlight two examples of worship for us, all right? Two examples of worship. The first one is full worship. Full worship is about elevating Christ. Full worship lifts the name of Jesus higher. We exalt Christ. That's what it means to fully worship. So the Magi are examples of full worship. The Magi left what was comfortable. They left what was convenient. They left what was familiar. They traveled over 100 miles. They weren't even Jewish, right? They traveled over 100 miles to see the supernatural child that they had heard about, that God had revealed to them. And it just makes me think about, uh, we tend to make worship about our comfort, right? Worship's about what we, what we like, what we prefer. I'm like, okay, let's talk to the Magi who travel over 100 miles and experience discomfort, right, in a whole new region, went to a people that spoke a different language to try to worship. And so worship fully means it's going to call us to a place of discomfort, It's going to stretch us a little bit. And are we willing to do so to worship Christ? And then this moment, verse 11 is kind of like the key moment. Like what do we see take place with the Magi when they finally encounter this child that was born? Look at verse 11. It says that they went into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, and they fell down. Like they didn't trip, right? It wasn't like a a tree stump sticking up. they, they, They lowered themselves and elevated the Christ child above themselves. The, the word worship here, by the way, right, is the word proskuneo in the Greek. And what it means, it means kind of like to kiss the hand. It can also mean to prostrate oneself before, to acknowledge deity. And in the East, it usually means that you would lower yourself and put your forehead on the dirt in total reverence for the one of worship. 
And so this was a worshipful experience. They were all in. There was a physical, emotional, heartfelt submission to this little child because they knew that there was something unique and special about him that God had revealed. And so they were lowering themselves to elevate him. When you think about your worship of Jesus, not just at Christmas, but beyond Christmas, is that a description of your worship? That your worship is a matter of lowering yourself to elevate Christ. That we emphasize Christ, we elevate him, and we lift him up. And then, of course, we see that this act of worship led them to open their gifts. It says that they had brought gifts. Think about this. They came prepared. They didn't stop in Bethlehem at the little, like, shack on the way in. This wasn't an impulse buy at the little racks, you know, when you're checking out somewhere. It wasn't like, oh, we got to get the baby something, right? They came with gifts, and they eagerly opened these gifts. And we've heard some of the stuff about the gifts before. I want to interact with those for a minute. We see that they brought these valuable, significant, meaningful gifts. So they brought gold. So we've got some gold flakes in here, right? So gold. And gold represents, like, it's a gift for a king. Jesus is our king. And so they brought gold. Uh, for a king. They also brought frankincense. Now, some of you don't even know what frankincense is, right? Frankincense is sap from a tree called the Boswellia tree. And so they would gather sap from the Boswellia tree and they, and they dry it out. And this one's a little bit old, but you can see the, the fragrance. This is Merry Christmas. You can now have a piece of frankincense, okay? And so um, front row favors, I'm just saying. Um, and so Boswellia tree, it's, it's tree sap, and it would be ground up or placed inside of uh, the incense a lot of times was offered in the temple. And so the, the frankincense is a gift for a priest, the one who would offer sacrifice, the one who would offer you know, um, uh, incense to the Lord. And so this was a gift for the priest because Jesus is our priest. And then they offered myrrh. Myrrh is also formed from the sap of a tree. It's from the uh, conifera tree. And so you take dry pieces of sap and they would put this in the spices. There's a piece of myrrh for you. You can hold on to that or pass around. And same thing, you can smell that. And the, the odor of, of myrrh, it was used in an anointing oil. And it was also used as a spice when embalming people who had passed away. So this is a cool but kind of morbid gift, by the way, to give a baby. Uh, here's some myrrh, by the way, they anoint dead people with it, you know. But we know what that meant, right? It was a precursor to the future, knowing that Jesus was our Savior. He was going to be our sacrifice. And so the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, they, they opened these, they gave to him. And so worship leads us to give gifts, significant gifts. And, and so when you think about Christmas, you know, we're good at gifts, but do we go overboard? And are the gifts designed to elevate Christ, or are they really about ourselves? And so uh, your time, your money, your efforts, your energy, your resources, uh, your abilities, do, do you offer these to Christ during the time of his birth? You know, the myrrh reminds us of the cross. The myrrh reminds us that, that Jesus was born to die. In fact, if you think about it, unless there's the cross, all Christmas is is another day a baby was born. That's all it is. There's nothing special about Christmas other than it's just another day a baby was born. But that baby was born to die. To, to, that baby one day, uh, 30 years later, is going to be nailed to the cross to take on our sins so that we could have our broken relationship with God repaired, that we could have our sins sacrificed for, atoned for. And so the, the logo, the, the Advent Conspiracies, got that star, which makes us think about the worship of the Magi, but then in the middle of that star is a what? It's a cross. It reminds us of the sacrifice that this baby one day was going to be on our behalf. And so really, those of you who maybe don't know Christ yet, the, the greatest gift you can give Jesus is your belief. It's your faith. It's, it's you. And so if you've never 
uh, admitted that you're a sinner, if you've never believed in who Jesus was as God incarnate and didn't believe in what he's done by dying on the cross for your sin and raising from the grave, then, then you just commit your life to him and believe. You turn from your sin, turn from yourself and put your faith in Christ. And if you do that today, let us know. And so we see this worship, this worship from the Magi. And they're a demonstration of, of a reminder that our worship at Christmas and beyond is a deeper, fuller, more sacrificial type of worship. Let me ask it this way. If, if an outsider were to, to, to watch you spend the Christmas season during the year, and if they were to ask to explain in one word what they just experienced about your Christmas, would worship be the word they would pick? But they say, man, what I just witnessed for three or four weeks of this person's life is just worship. They just, they love their Savior so much and celebrate his birth so much. I just, I got the experience of watching worship take place before my eyes. Or would it be something else? And so when we look at the Magi, we see full worship. But there's another worship in play here. And it's a worship I'm going to call fake worship. See, full worship elevates Christ. It exalts him, right? But fake worship tries to eliminate Christ tries to get him out of the picture. And the example of that we see here is Herod. Let's go back to King Herod for a moment. Look again what he says in verse 8 of Matthew 2. He sends the Magi to Bethlehem. He says, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Is there any sort of spidey sense going off? Is there anything inside of you that's starting to get a suspicion that when Herod says worship, it's probably not the same thing that the Magi have in mind, right? Yeah, he wants to come worship all right. We know what that means. And of course, as, as you see the evidence of this, that after the Magi are warned not to go back to Herod and leave, what does Herod do? What do his actions reveal? He kills every two-year-old boy and under in Bethlehem. It's the part of the nativity scene we don't put out at Christmas time. Think about those children that were sacrificed because of a man's ego and fear. And so why did he do that? Because Jesus was a threat to his life. Jesus was a threat to Herod's kingdom. Jesus was a threat to Herod's way of life and his priorities and his values or lack of values. And so he wanted to eliminate the threat. And so fake worship happens when we say we want to worship. Herod said he wanted to worship with his lips. He used the right word, but his heart had nothing to do with that word. And there's times, I think, even as believers in Christ, we say, like, oh, Christmas is a time about worshiping Christ. And we use the right word, but then we look at the way we celebrate Christmas, and Jesus is eliminated from our Christmas. He's not elevated. He's, he's eliminated. It's not an act of worship. And what happens, I think, just like I talked about with my daughter, is Jesus is saying, well, if you really know my heart, this is probably how you'll celebrate me and my birth, but we impose our own desires on top of that instead. And so this is what we see in Herod. Now, we would not say that we have murder in our heart toward Christ, but we honestly have to answer the question of whether or not our worship at Christmas, as well as all the months of the year, elevates Jesus or eliminates Jesus. And by the way, I don't care. None of, that's, this is not about what Starbucks puts on their cups, by the way. This is not about whether the city square is going to put up a nativity or not. This is not about whether the clerk at the store says Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. Like, where in our brains as Christians do we cross the line of going, look, it is a believer's responsibility to elevate Jesus at Christmas. Why do we think unbelievers are going to do it? Why are we picking fights with people that don't even believe, right? And again, we're trying to impose. Like, that's not the way we celebrate Christmas. In fact, we put a bad taste in their mouth. 
What they should see is like, those people are nuts, man. They love Jesus so much. Look what they do in their act of worship. And so we're not talking about picking fights with the world. It's not their responsibility to lift up Jesus. It's ours. It's our responsibility to lift up Jesus. And so let's make sure that our worship is full. It's full. And it's, and it's sacrificial and it's deeper. And it's not fake. And it's pseudo-worship and artificial. We don't want to be guilty of what God said through the prophet Isaiah about the people of Israel. Isaiah 29, 13, the Lord said, these people draw near with me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are what? Far, far from me. At Christmas, is your heart close to Christ or far from him? Are you, are you letting something inside of you or pressures from outside of you make Jesus far from you at Christmas? Or you let him come close? Is it fake? Like, oh yeah, we've got the manger somewhere over there. There's a nativity scene somewhere in our house, but there's all this other stuff. It's a fake and full. Like, like who's going to get glorified most in our homes and in our hearts at Christmas? Does your percentage of running around elevate Christ or eliminate Christ? Is your heart elevating Christ or eliminating Christ at Christmas? Does the percentage of the money you spend at Christmas elevate Christ or eliminate Christ? Does the time you spend with people during the season elevate Christ or eliminate Christ? And so what I'm calling us together today to do is to conspire together. Let's conspire together that we will always let Christmas be about fully worshiping Christ. Let's commit to each other, pray for each other, encourage one another in our worship of Jesus at Christmas, that it's full, not fake, to elevate Christ, not eliminate Christ. Because Christ's birth calls us to deeper, fuller, more sacrificial worship. Well, what does that look like? Like, I just want to run through a list. Some of these um, have come from you, from online interactions. Some of these have come just out of books or stories that people have shared. Here's some things that people do to try to live this out to worship Christ more fully. Uh, some are making sure that they're in the Bible each day um, during this time. We, we recommend that. There are a few resources uh, the Advent Conspiracy has provided for us that could be helpful. Uh, in your program, you'll see there's a daily Bible list. So we already have our regular Bible reading plan, but you can add this to it where each morning, maybe start with a verse that's going to center your heart on Christ during the season. On the back of that are some memory verses, one a week. Just say, you know, each week I'm going to take a verse, I'm going to memorize it, I'm going to put it in my heart, and just um, you know, recite that a few times a day to help keep my heart on Christ. Uh, a couple other resources, and these you can find out at the Info Center. It's another sheet. Uh, one side is just four little quick devotionals. You can use these as a family or as a couple or in your life groups. Um, and on the back side, it's a fun little advent calendar. It just has some ideas. It's, it's not dated. You can just pick the boxes. So, you know, one's, one's collect coins in a donation jar and give to someone. One's read a passage. One's uh, make a Christmas card for someone in your neighborhood and give it to them. It's just different ways to try to live out Christ's birthday the way we think he might appreciate us doing so. And so making sure you're in the Word. Also, some people do things like make a birthday cake to Jesus, sing happy birthday to him, especially those with young kids. That's a good way to keep Christ first. Um, a lot of us, I enjoy this, uh, make a playlist of just Christ-centered music uh, for the Christmas season. And just make sure you play that often. Because look, if you're playing Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer and Come Let Us Adore Him, Two different things are going to happen in your heart. You know what I'm saying? So make a playlist that's going to just keep your mind and your heart thinking about why we celebrate this season. Um, invite others 
who don't know Christ just into meaningful moments or meaningful conversations, go to a live nativity scene, find several ways to bless others uh, that have need right now financially. They don't have resources, and you can come alongside them and just bless them. Uh, Also, you can spend time with people who've uh, lost someone this year. I mean, that's a really good way to just live out the incarnation because we want to we demonstrate what Jesus did. Jesus came to us. He was with us, right? And so one of the best ways to celebrate his birth is go be with people that, that need help, that need the presence of others. And so you can go be with someone who's hurting this year. Uh, you can have your kids read the Christmas story while they're setting up a nativity. You can have uh, read the Christmas story. This is another one I like to do. It drives my kids nuts. I know that, but we still do it. Read the Christmas story the first thing on Christmas morning. You know, like, you know, they wish they could just fast forward me like they do on their apps. Like, okay, presents. I feel the need to kind of like, well, you know, the Greek word here and the meaning of. In fact, let's look at the, what it says over here in Luke on that passage. No, I don't do that. Maybe for one night or more, unplug from technology. Spend time with people. Give your presence to others. Just say, we're, we're not, we're not going to be in front of a screen of any nature for a day or two just to, just to reconnect. That's another way that can help you. Uh, give to CVC's Advent tree out there and the, the causes that are on that tree to bless others around the globe. Or, or maybe give to a CVC-supported global cause. Use some of the money that you would spend on Christmas to go to a local restaurant on Christmas Day and leave a nice little note and give a ridiculous tip to someone working on Christmas Eve or Christmas night. Just go bless the socks of somebody and do it in the name of Christ. Um, what if we hung around hospitals and gave encouraging notes or coffee or gifts or offered to pray with people in the waiting rooms and if they let us, go pray with people in the rooms. Like, well, there's just ways we can go and do things that are more worship-oriented and, and birthed out of our worship of Christ than some of the things that we do. Go serve in a local organization or ministry that impacts hurting people on Christmas. Um, go to our CVC's Big Ten list. Go to a mission, go to a street ministry, go to Ronald McDonald House, do something to get out with hurting people. These are just some of the types of lists uh, that you can go after. This list will be on our blog. I didn't put it on the screen. Um, this list will be on our blog if you just need something to spark. But, but these lists of things, they should create stories. Of like, what does that look like when we do that and we, we live it out? Here's, here's just a few stories as examples. Uh, one woman decided to sponsor a goat and water for a village across the globe one year for Christmas on behalf of one of her loved ones. Uh, the next year, some of the other family members got in on that, and then the rest of the family members got on that, and every year now they send water and animals, chickens and goats over to... They have impacted an entire village across the world because of Christmas. Uh, sometimes I think, you know, does our Christmas change anybody's world? <laughs> you know, we just need to think about that. One family had been talking about the birth of Christ for a while and what it meant that God gave himself to be with us. And that Sunday during the worship service, their son brought his allowance. He didn't tell him. He brought all the allowance he'd been saving up and he gave it to the offering towards some hurting kids. And when the parents were asking about that, he says, well, I just want to give the way that God gave us. You know, he just felt like open, open generosity. One family agreed. Uh, I think the key word here is agreed, by the way. That instead of exchanging presents, they gave uh, the money they would spend on each other, they gave it toward a charity of their choice a cause of their choice. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, around the tree, they opened up an envelope and explained how much they gave to the charity and why that cause means a lot to them. And they prayed for that cause. Now, I said that's good to do if you agree with it. I don't know if your kids really buy in if you just impose that on them. But these are just ways that we can be doing that. One story is actually from someone here. I know a lot of you do these kinds of things. But um, years ago, when we first arrived here, uh, it was our first Christmas here from California in 2010, 
And, you know, we didn't have the family and all this stuff around. So we just said, what if, what if we just took a bunch of paper bags and our, our kids colored pictures on them? And then we just made like PB&J sandwiches and put some other food and hand warmers and scarves and just, you know, toiletries. We just put them in these brown bags and, and loaded up our trunks with these boxes and these bags. And we just, we just went downtown Cleveland looking for people that were homeless, that looked like they were hurting, and we, we found a bunch. And so th that was 2010. Well, one of the families that went on there was the Hills, and Lisa, th this impacted her, and she started something out of that called Christmas for Everyone. And here's what she says. She says, Christmas for Everyone is a mission to share the joy and blessings of Christmas with all. We collect clothing, hygiene items, food items throughout the year, distribute it in December, and it all began when we went downtown for Christmas in 2010 with Pastor Chad and some of the, his families. And we took bags of food, hand warmers, hygiene items, scarves. It really brought the homeless of Cleveland to my attention. It especially broke my heart seeing people sleeping on sewer grates and wrapped in newspapers trying to stay warm. Every year since, our mission's grown. And we are blessed to have joined forces with amazing people to serve more. What started with blessing just a handful of people in 2010 now sees over 150 people being served on, at Christmas. I do this because I want to give back for all the good that God's given me. Giving gifts and donations to those without brings me immense joy. Our desire to be the hands and feet of Christ is a privilege, and being a small part of this mission ignites our hearts each holiday season and brings us into the true spirit of Christmas. It's just, it's just one example of what that can look like if we let worship activate deeper activities from our hearts. So how can your Christmas truly be a Christ-centered act of full worship? How can it change the world, or at least someone's world? How will you celebrate Christ's birth in a deeper, fuller, more sacrificial kind of worship? So, welcome to Advent Conspiracy. We're going to be talking like this over the next four weeks as we focus on fully worshiping, on giving, um, spending less, on giving more, and loving all. The application I have for you is this. Uh, you can write this down in your program or just make the mental note here. The question I have for you, you is this, fill in the blank. This Christmas, in an effort to worship Christ more fully, I will or we will do what? All right? So whether uh, you're here on your own or whether you're here as, as a couple or whether you have your family with you, uh, my challenge to you is today fill in that blank. Maybe you do that today at lunch. Maybe you do that in the car. Maybe you do that before you leave. Maybe you do that tonight at dinner. It's what is something you can do in an effort to worship Christ more fully? What, what will you do? Fill in that blank. And so I will or we will do what? So conspire together with your family or friends and fill in that blank and then just live it out and see what God does with you. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Amen? Hey, would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for today. And we thank you for the birth of Christ. And we're reminded uh, of, of how special and how sacred the season is. And uh, Lord, we're so grateful for Jesus. The birth of Christ gives us hope. It gives us value. It gives us uh, peace and comfort and joy. Uh, we know that many were awaiting the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, uh, before he was born. And the joy that came when he entered this world to unsuspecting people that weren't ready for it. Lord, sometimes we don't feel ready for Christmas, but it's here, and we just want to celebrate our Savior. Lord, we know that uh, Jesus is coming back, and, and we want to be ready for his return, and so we anticipate his coming. But until then, uh, Lord, we ask that you'd help us to worship more fully, not fake worship, but full worship with Christ. In fact, right now, um, just, just as you're praying, 
Can you just search your heart, search your life, search your activities, and would you just confess any area that you know you're already off track and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for that. that that's me trying to impose my way of celebrating your birthday, not, probably not what you want. Would you just take a moment and just confess anything the Lord's putting on your heart about this? Jesus, we're, we're grateful for bright lights, fun decorations. We're grateful for the opportunity to uh, lovingly bless and gift people we love in our life. Lord, we know there's nothing wrong with that, but Lord, we know we, we go too far in some places. So Father, uh, we ask for your forgiveness for, for being reckless with money. Or just, just doing things in a spirit that eliminate Christ rather than exalts Christ. We're sorry for that. Would you forgive us? Lord, would you help us to live out our celebration of your birthday in a way that honors you and exalts you? In fact, would you take a minute and just ask God to help you to do that? Or maybe you already know how you're going to. Would you just ask him to help you with that? Just take a minute and pray and ask God to help you to do that this year. Jesus, help us to fully worship you at Christmas and every day, especially this time. Lord, help protect us from getting carried away uh, down roads and paths that don't really elevate Christ at all. Help us to be Christ-centered. Lord, I pray for anyone here that just, uh, they, they need Christ. They're going into a season to celebrate a Savior they don't even believe in, but today maybe they'll surrender themselves to believe. Help them take that first step. And then let us know about it so that we can follow up. So Lord, thank you for Christmas. Help us celebrate it in a way that honors you best. We ask in Jesus' name. We all say together, amen.